Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers and welcome to Popcorn where we tell you what's popping in the culture. And there is a show now on Amazon called The Last Tycoon. Uh, there's a lot to say about it, but my guest Matt Bomer is playing the lead in this, uh, Monroe Starr, who is in the 1930s a major um, sort of production head who wants quality in motion pictures. So of course, I wish that Monroe Star would come back and live now. But I have you, Matt, so welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to it's be here. To it's an honor to be here with you, truly. Well, we'll see. You know, <laughs> you might be tossing popcorn everywhere. Not. I just, I have no idea. But tell me about how you got involved in this, because I was saying before, this is a book F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote, and then he died and didn't finish it. I think yeah. he did, like, 17 chapters and they're mm -hmm. supposed to be 31. That's right. Yeah. That's correct. And they sort of finished it based on his notes, the draft right. that you can read. Now, I saw the pilot for The Last Tycoon, I believe, in the 20th century. It was mm. made. It was on Amazon. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, then exactly. I know. Time it's went been, by. I know. So much time. Time went so by. Much time. <laughs> so what was happening with it when before? Well, Amazon has this great diplomatic process. You know, it is very 21st century where you make a pilot and, and the, the viewership of the site is allowed to vote on it and decide if they want that to turn into a series or not. The so public is allowed to the vote? The public is allowed to wow. vote, yeah. Well, it came out in your favor then. It did, thankfully, yes. And uh, so there's a waiting period for that. And then it's, it's a big production, you know. We have a lot of incredible... Patrizia von Brandenstein, who did Amadeus, did the production design, and Janie Bryant from Mad Men did the costumes, and so it was a lot, you know, it's a, it's a big production to put together. Well, there's a, ma I mean, the Mad Men is the 50s, and it's this, but this has the same kind of affect. We're watching people dressing spectacularly mm, well yeah. in a Hollywood background with yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And yet underneath, things are festering. Yes, it is the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, you know, you're getting to see the machinations behind the scenes of the studio system. And at the same time, it's 1936. We're at the height of the Great Depression. You know, uh, Germany, Italy, uh, Japan are all on the move. The Spanish Civil War is going on. So around the world, I mean, it's just a very tumultuous time. Hitler and is moving in. Hitler's moving in, and, and, and here, everybody in America, at the height of the Depression, everybody goes right to the movies. That's what they want to do. So it's, we get to see a lot of that, the whole holistic view of the world at the time. And, and also, you know, the demons these people struggle with. One of the themes, as you know, in F. Scott's writing is, is at what cost the American dream? What does it cost people to pursue this dream? And you definitely, as the series progresses, get to see a lot of the skeletons in their closet and a lot of the relationships and, and things they've sacrificed and, and had to put aside in order to go from Milton Sternberg from the Bronx to Monroe Star, That's Hollywood Wunderkind. Milton Sternberg from the Bronx. Yeah. And Kelsey Grammer, who plays Pat the Brady. head of the studio. Pat yeah. Brady, yes. Also has that background. Of yeah. It. So we have immigration. We have... Uh, the threat of a major war. Mm -hmm. We have um, the money people beginning to take over the studios. So Having to cater this, to foreign markets. Exactly. Or, so yeah. this is so old hat. We don't have any of this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's one of the fun things about the show is that I realized as we were going on how much social commentary uh, we were able to just, of the now, we were able to bring into the show and how sadly so much hasn't changed. And, and thankfully some things have. Well, I mean, Fitzgerald based 
Monroe Starr on Irving Thalberg, who was yeah. at the time they called the boy wonder. Mm -hmm. This was the guy who would seem to have the magic formula mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. everything he touched. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think what uh, Kelsey Grammer's character says to you at one time, he's like uh, a velvet. Jackham yeah, yeah. underneath <laughs> doing that, you know. Yeah, Does, is that in you, Matt? Um, Do well, we I see think a velvet uh, Jack <laughs> inside of you? Is I that have, how you I have control my moments. The set? I have my. I don't know if I try to control any set I'm on, but I definitely have my moments. I, I think as artists, we all struggle with the debate of art versus commerce, and that's really what my character. Monroe and Pat Brady, that's really the, the nature of their relationship. He wanting to maintain uh, a very commercial aspect of the studio system in play and my character wanting to try to bring some art and culture into the world uh, and trying to you know, achieve some type of immortality in the very limited time he knows he has with his heart condition. So um, yeah, as an actor, those were things I was weighing out in my head when I got the call from Billy Ray. So it just seemed like, I guess, but once a year I have an existential meltdown about art versus commerce. So. Do you really? Yeah, because yeah. it's still the way it's, the world runs. It's just the way it goes. If you can have both of them. Yeah, and some artists get thing. to. Yeah, 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 yeah. You live happily in Los Angeles. Uh, your husband, Simon Halls, I know really well. Oh, great. Uh, three kids. Yeah. So it has to be something for you that says, I'm going to do this yeah. for a nine-hour miniseries. Yes, yes, nine hours. And maybe more, even. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's different things depending on the project. It, it, it can be something that thematically I relate to. It can be the filmmaker involved. It can be the script. It can be whether or not I feel like it's an important story to put out into the world, whether three people see it or a hundred thousand people mm -hmm. see it or a million people see it. Um, so it's always uh, a different thing. But I think what, as an artist, there's so much, I mean, my gosh, more than ever, so much distraction out there as to what you should do and shouldn't do and uh, social media and all these other things going on that you, it, it's a struggle to really stay in touch with your intuition as an artist. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, uh, you know, something that I try well, because to do. You live, <laughs> you live this kind of Monroe star life in the sense you're not running a studio, mm. but it's Hollywood. Mm. You're married to somebody who is in the business. Mm -hmm. So when you're at home and you're with three kids, how old are they now? Our oldest is 12 and the twins are nine. The all twins boys. are nine. All yeah. boys. Yeah. Do you try to keep that all that work away from them? Yes. Yes. We very much separate church and state. Uh, and, I, and I think hopefully a, a healthy way. Um, but, you know, I've also been privy just in terms of thinking about Monroe. I've been, I've been in these social situations where I'll see <laughs> an eminence mob come and whisper something in a very powerful person's ear and then sort of nod gravely, and I know some high-stakes <laughs> Hollywood decision has just been made. <laughs> so I, I've, I've borne witness to a few of those things. Um, but, yeah, at home we, we really try to keep it about our family and... Um, I, I try to keep all that stuff kind of cordoned off to my office out back and and then just just be a parent and a, and a, and a well, husband. Well, the boys aware? I mean, when Magic Mike was out there, nothing but Magic Mike posters. Yes. Of you naked. <laughs> yeah. How could they avoid it? It would be on the buses um, that would pass them yeah. on the way to school. Uh, for, look, for better or for worse, there were billboards on the way to their school. <laughs> you know how insidious the marketing for any project, if you're lucky, mm -hmm. is in, in Los Angeles. So um, they definitely noticed, and we had a lot of conversations that were hopefully age-appropriate, and 
they like to mock my positions on billboards and things like that. And <laughs> That's healthy then. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, they just we always try to take a picture next to one, and and they just took. Their, I guess there's one for the last tycoon up on Sunset in L.A. So mm-hmm. they just sent me a picture of them in front of that, and thankfully That's I'm clothed cute. and. <laughs> And, you are. Uh, it's, a, it's a pose I don't mind them emulating. And <laughs> <laughs> it's either be the last tycoon or uh, Ken in Magic Wand yeah, to do I, that. But listen, what a blessing to get to do both. I don't know. It's very because it, you was it. I, we were talking a little bit before what a fan I, I was of White Collar, oh. your series, because I miss it all the time. Mm. I miss you and Maz together, especially. I'll wake up sometime <laughs> and say, what are Neil and Maz picking up? Oh is he going to be? In- this is so surreal, surreal for me right now. <laughs> what are they doing? How could I you have left the that same show? Thing. Was it your ego and you just said no, no more TV? No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, my choice at all. Uh, I, you know, we had gone six seasons. I don't know if I'm seasons. buying this now. No, just, truly, truly. Yeah. I, I, hand to heart, it wasn't my choice. Um, we'd gone six seasons. We'd, we'd gotten syndication and, and I think the... The network had decided they were sort of moving out of a blue skies type of network to more of a Mr. Robot, a little darker, darker, edgier network. And and we were a studio that was not affiliated with the network. And I think we were one of the first casualties of that. But we got a great run out of it. And uh, it was, you know, creatively, um, uh, ensemble wise, the, the greatest experience I've ever had. I think what your performance in The Normal Heart is one of the best things I've seen. Oh, it's a television. You. Ryan Murphy put it together for that. Yeah. But it's as good and strong a piece of material as I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And you have a pivotal role in that movie. People mm-hmm. concentrate a lot about the fact that you lost 40 pounds to play this man dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. But there's way more to it than that. Mm-hmm. It's a life mm-hmm. being sucked away. Yeah. Yeah. What was the genesis of you doing that? Uh, well, I had been a huge fan of Larry Kramer's, you know, since I was a preteen mm-hmm. or, or no, early teenager. I had started reading his work when I was in high school and I was living in semi-rural Texas at the time and no one was talking about AIDS I would or think anything they, They're probably on. not even talking about Larry Kramer no, or anything. No, not at all. I just somehow got my, we had a great theater teacher and I got my hands on a copy of The Destiny of Me, which is another play he did. And I thought, oh my, what is going on in the world around me? And then... I started working in the professional theater uh, when I was a senior in high school, and, and it, this is, you know, mid-90s, mid to late 90s, right as AZT was coming out, and so I was, my friends were experiencing this and going through this, and uh, so when I, the, I saw the play when it came to Broadway, was so moved, when I heard that Ryan was doing it, I, I reached out to him, I said, listen, I'll be a waiter in the background of a restaurant scene in this movie. I, I've loved this piece for so long. I will literally just walk across. I want to be in it. Mm-hmm. And he, we had a meeting. He saw something in me. And initially it was a film, actually. And when I heard that it was moving to HBO, I just thought, ah, oh, this is the best possible outlet for this because the marketing will be there. The, it'll have the best outreach. It'll have more of a life in that way. And, and uh, it was just, you know such a huge responsibility to be any part of that story and, and something that you take on and, and, I, and I wanted to do whatever it took even if it, I was risking my health or, or anything I wanted to be able to tell that story as truthfully as I possibly could I felt a responsibility too. Was this about the time that you came out publicly 
as gay? Was no. this about, was it just before then? No, it was actually much after, a, a few years after. I think I, I think I came out in 2000, whatever you call, I mean, I acknowledged my family and all that. Right. I wasn't like. No, I meant, if it's not <laughs> on yeah, social media, in, yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. So two th that was 2012, and I guess this came out in 2014, I want to say. Mm -hmm. So a couple years after, yeah. Yeah. And did it change your life or career in any way when you did it? Yes and no. Um, I think, you know, you can't... Com Listen, the important thing for me was to acknowledge who I am and, and to make sure my family and, and Simon weren't feeling like they were swept under some kind of rug and had to hide in the shadows mm -hmm. while I went and did whatever I do as an actor, mm -hmm. you know. I wanted to know that they were loved and acknowledged and, and that I was proud to be who I am. Um, what and about in Texas? At the same though? time, just what being an actor. What about parents in Texas? It well, can't you know, be easy listen, then. I have amazing parents and who, who uh, I've had such a dream scenario. It, it wasn't always that way. There were mm -hmm. really, really difficult times. And, and, you know, eventually I think they realized that love is the most important thing we can give to one another, whatever we believe, whatever our religions tell us. And, and um, so we're so fortunate now that they're incredible grandparents, the kids, very active in our lives. And, um, but yeah, well, it's there good, was certainly it's, a great it's deal of It's kind of a hardships. good message for people because a lot of very young kids worry about that. Yeah. Worry whether they're just going to miss out or be cut off from something. And I think everybody has to do it when they're ready to do it. Mm -hmm. There's, you can't just do it and then just, you know, everyone knows it's a subjective thing. I don't hold any judgment. I have a lot of friends who are actors who don't acknowledge it and I'm totally, mm -hmm. I get it. I com I'm completely fine with that. Um, but I think it has to be when you're ready, you know, and... and uh, I am very thankful, and one of the reasons I do talk about it, and I do talk about my family, is that I want kids. I, I wish someone had said that to me when I was 15 yeah. years old in, in Spring, Texas, that it, it can be okay and your family can love you regardless. And I, I don't mean to prescribe that and say that it's going to be everybody's situation, mm -hmm. but there is hope. Well, I mean, even besides sexuality of doing it, you're living in Texas and saying, you know what? I'm going to be an actor. And you yeah. were interested in the theater. Yeah. What was the first thing you did on stage? The first thing, uh, well, the first play I ever did was Picnic by William Inge <laughs> when I was 14 or something. Way too young to be doing that play. <laughs> but Was we, it a high school we, version Yeah, of it was Picnic? a high school production. My first professional production was A Streetcar Named Desire at the Alley Theater in Houston. Oh, well, that's so much easier. Yeah, so much the easier. Street that's, that's yeah, yes, the Streetcar Junior. Yeah, Streetcar Junior. Just do that. And uh, with Michael Wilson directing. And then uh, once I got, got out of college, the first play I did, I did the very first workshop of Spring Awakening uh, really? with Michael, uh, um, Michael Mayer and Duncan Sheik and all those folks at Sundance Theater Lab. And so that was, you, you were bitten by that. And yeah. then you were kind of, what made you get swept out of that into television uh, and movies? 9-11, basically. How is uh, that? I had gotten a Broadway show called Thoroughly Modern Millie, and we were waiting a, a long time. You know, when you get a show, you have to get the right house for the show. You don't want to be in a huge theater if people, if ticket sales are expected to be middling or mm -hmm. whatever. So we were waiting a long time. I was a uh, bellman at a hotel here. 9-11 happened. That's a good job. Yeah, no, it was a great, yeah, it was right. a great gig. Mm -hmm. I was doing that and waiting tables at the same time while I waited on this Broadway show. And uh, after 9-11, you know, 
people stopped coming to Manhattan. So uh, people in the service industry got laid off in droves and mm -hmm. went on seniority. I had only been in New York a year at the time. And uh, a casting director from a soap opera had said, you know, hey, you know, if you ever want to do a soap, let me know. Wasn't anything I, I thought I'd do, and, but he had a role and he said, you're not really right for it, but you can come in and, and try. And for whatever reason, they mercifully cast me. And, and uh, it was, what was this? Which it was, was called Guiding Light. Guiding yeah, Light. Yeah, it was. A, it was a great. It was a really great experience. It was like getting paid to go to graduate school. I was there for just over a year. And what's well, like being thrown out? Oh my every gosh, day. you were yeah. shot out of a cannon. <laughs> I mean, if I the storyline was so wacky, what did and you crazy. I played a trust fund baby who bet that his friends that he could be the first to deflower the town virgin. Then that goes awry, but of course he falls in love with her and she finds out about it, dumps him. Uh, he meets another girl, loses his trust fund, and turns to the only you know, source of income any logical person can turn to, which is male prostitution. Well, of course. Um, yeah. And uh, so he's doing that on the side. She finds out about it, dumps him. He goes crazy, <laughs> kills five people, and then confesses to her about... Um, his uh, high school female teacher sexually abusing him as a kid, and that's why he's so crazy. <laughs> and then I committed suicide by injecting myself with a syringe full of insulin and then hung on one extra day in the hospital to ask for forgiveness for all my sins. So you had a forgiveness speech. I had a big forgiveness speech, and I remember one of the most epic moments was when the writers came up to me at the end of my time there after all this, after I've just died, and go, if you ever want to come back, well, cool. we've got it all figured out. And I just thought, how? How could that be possible? But it was a great time. When I started that gig, I, I, was, I was shaking to be on camera. And by the end, they'd be like, you know, listen, we're not going to be able to rehearse on camera. If you can do that monologue downstage, cry out of your downstage eye on this line on camera two, that'd be amazing. In five, <laughs> four, three. <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and so then you're just crying out of fear. And you're but, never nervous again. Well, I bet, well, come on. Well, I mean, no, I still definitely have my moments of nerves, but I don't think I'll ever have the kind of nerves I had when I first started that job because you, you rehearse once in the morning and you get one take. That's it. Now, Matt, this is the first time you've been on the show. Yeah. So you don't know we always end in song. Oh, yes. Just a tiny bit of song. Do I sing it? Do I pick a song? Yeah, I don't pick it. I would be terrible if I did that. Although, you know, you do do D'Angelo when you were in... I did, yeah. yeah they mm -hmm. were nice enough to let me, me cover too. a couple of songs <laughs> in that right. soundtrack. Um, well, my karaoke standby, it's a little early in the morning. Um, if I want to go down, if I want a stool song, I go Desperado. Oh. Um, Come on. God, this is crazy. Come on, pretend <clears throat> it's midnight. All right, all right, it's midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. It's a little Monroe Star. I was going to define oh, him, it would be Desperado. Thank you. Anyway, Matt, it's Full been circle. a pleasure to meet you. It's an honor, sir. Thank really you. Was.